Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Patricia Ruiz, the owner of three Pilates studios in New York City called Moving Strength. Her journey from Manhattan, Kansas to Manhattan, New York is an inspired tale of fortitude and determination. Yet it was her decision to take care of her dying brother that provided her with some of the most invaluable lessons. These lessons surpassing any of her professional successes. Please welcome Patricia Ruiz. I always ask one question, and the question is, was there an event in your life that was incredibly challenging, either professionally or personally, that has basically reshaped the course of your life? I would say that the biggest event that really happened to me was the illness of my brother and being able to take care of him for five years until he passed because it put a huge perspective in life. Up until that point, I was doing everything I was doing, but with extreme anxiety and stress and everything was detrimental. And after taking care of him and living with him and seeing his perspective of you only have right now and right now you got to live right now made a huge difference that things would be catastrophic or events would happen, but I would go, you know what? No one's dead. No one's dying. And it's really not that important if X, Y, Z happens. What did your brother die from and how long was he sick? So he died of multiple myeloma. He was sick for five years. Most people with that type of cancer will last one or three years. And as soon as he got ill, I moved him here and took care of him. So he lived with me and my two little daughters. And it was just amazing to have the influence of him here with the girls. And he passed away. It'll be six years on May 4th. And so while you were taking care of him, I'm assuming that you were working? Yeah, I was working with the three studios, trying to run the businesses, taking care of him and dealing with all his medical appointments and all of that and raising my two daughters by myself as well. I know that you obviously are a small business owner and you own three Pilates studios called Moving Strength, two on the Upper East Side and one on the Upper West Side. But prior to becoming a Pilates studio owner, what was it that you did professionally? I was lucky enough to be one of the few who actually made my living as a professional dancer in New York City. I moved here and got a job within the first three weeks. And from that point on, made my living as a professional modern dancer. And the last one, I was the rehearsal director in addition to it for nine years with the company and even toured China, bringing my daughter with me. So up until that point, even while I owned the studios, I was still performing professionally. I love what you said about your brother's death, kind of refocusing priorities, right? Being able to look at anything that is presented as a problem in your life, you can kind of put into perspective and say, 
like you said, if you're not dying, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. How else has it shaped you in terms of your capacity to maybe filter other people's perhaps sensitivities or their vulnerabilities? I think what it's helped me is kind of put uh, like a child's perspective on things to see the flowers on the street and oh my gosh you're driving through central park and look at all the leaves blowing around and in the same sense if people maybe are aggressive at me or having a bad day or whatever it's kind of made me see you know what everybody has their ups and downs but the reality is just open your eyes and see what's going on it's not that big of a deal before your brother's illness and eventual death and you being his main caretaker, if you could describe yourself then, how would you describe yourself? Same high-driven kind of person that I am, but to the inability to be able to step back and take a moment to relax, whether it's go outside, go for a walk, take a weekend and do self-care of going to the beach or whatever. I literally had TMJ. I was stressed out all the time and any phone call that I wasn't able to attend to right away caused me anxiety and stress. And I was a bundled pile of knots because I may not have them tomorrow. So it really did make a big difference. I know that you say you describe as yourself as being high driven. And obviously you are if you own three small businesses or three Pilates studios in New York City and have made them successful. Do you think that it is all your nature that a fuels your own ambitions to be successful, but then more importantly, to have taken on that extra burden of caring for your brother, or it's a combination of nature and nurture? I think it's a combination because I was never driven to be, in the world's perspective, a successful individual. I think that my drive was more of not letting my natural talents or gifts or whatever go to waste. And when you say that you weren't nurtured for success, like what does that mean exactly? My father always had a business, but he was never successful at it. And where did my you grow up? Oh, I grew up in Manhattan, Kansas, of all places. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Spent a week in Manhattan Beach, California. Moved in Manhattan, New York. I love the theme of Manhattan. The Manhattan thing. So I grew up there. My father always had a business. My mother, you know, was a home care, you know, took care of us all. Stayed home mom, but she was always doing something. She would replant a garden or she'd refinish the floors or literally paint the outside of the house. But I was never pushed to be like, you need to be famous and successful. It was you need to always be your best and never be settled. You can do anything you want at any point in life was what my mother taught me. So the leap from Manhattan, Kansas to Manhattan, New York is a huge leap. How old were you when you made that leap? I think I was 21. I literally graduated from college and two days later had my airplane ticket to New York. And I was staying in a youth hostel and got an apartment within a week. And I had like $200 in my pocket. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> here I am. And I had a can opener. 
this is the funny story. I had stayed here the summer before between my junior and senior year of college to dance. I studied at the Ailey School for a summer intensive. And um, I remember I didn't have a can opener. <laughs> when I moved here, I put a can opener, little hand can opener in my little suitcase so that if I went to the store to get something, I would have my can opener, could eat my food no matter where I was. So you moved here after college without knowing anyone. And you said within a week you had an apartment. Yep. I had an apartment because uh, I came here to dance and there was always, you know, wall hangings of roommates wanted, roommates wanted. So when you yeah. were taking care of him, was there a moment where you thought you couldn't do this anymore? Juggling, taking care of your brother raising your two small daughters, running a business? Definitely. There were moments because he was in such critical states at times. It would be two or three o'clock in the morning and I have to go to the emergency room with him because of some reason or another. And I had no one to take my kids. So this is where definitely true friends come into play. And, you know, some of my best friends, I would just say, hey, I've got to leave can you come over to the house and just be there for my kids? And also my older daughter, Isabella, had to grow up pretty quick because there would be times where I would take them to school and they're babies. And I'm like, the school's not open. I got to get to the doctor appointment. You got to hold your sister and take her into her classroom with her. But I always found that I loved my work. So my work helped deal with the anxiety and the stress. Mm -hmm. So as long as I could get to do what I like to do, I could handle the rest. During that period, could you also describe or find a moment that kind of helped crystallize your life perspective that you hold to this day? You know, like just a beautiful moment where you thought all of this heartache and hard work and stress and anxiety was worth that one moment. Now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> yes. I remember driving with him across town in a taxi to get him to the emergency room and it was pouring down snow and Central Park was covered and I was in my phone trying to deal with business and my brother said stop look and it was so gorgeous the trees were cut because it was like virgin snow Central Park because it was in the middle of the night with covered in snow it is so beautiful and I remember that moment so now every time I go through the park I'm like wait just stop and look like there's so much beauty around us. And that moment really get your head out of the stress because this moment is right here. Did you find that remarkable that your brother who was facing his own mortality was the one that had to kind of shake you to see the beauty around you? Yeah, definitely. Because he was uh, me times 10. My brother was a very, 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 very driven, highly successful PhD with three degrees kind of person. And he would tell me my friends were dropping like flies left and right at the age of 40 because of heart attacks and stress. And he kept saying to me, you can't do this. You will drive yourself into the grave. And he goes, and I've seen it and I've lived it. And he was like, I'm convinced that's why I am where I am because I didn't take the time. So, yeah, yeah definitely. With his wisdom, how have you changed perhaps your daily habits or just your own ability to navigate 
your stress. I mean, it doesn't sound like your life has gotten any less stressful, but managing the stress of running a business, but more importantly, learning how to kind of navigate the emotional terrain of what all of that means for women, especially. The biggest thing was that he taught me was I can't do anything unless I, myself, the vessel is taken care of. So the way I manage it is making sure that I take care of me and physically, mentally, emotionally. And that's by being able to take my yoga, to take my ballet class and not feeling guilty to spend the extra money on the organic spinach, because that is what helps me manage. And I think I've also been able to just go, "Eh, you know what? This is my hour. I'm turning off my phone and I have to take care of me. Everything else can wait. Do you think that that ability to do that and set those boundaries so clearly has to do with age? I think part of it has to do with age. And I guess, you know, part of it I learned from my brother, but also with age, if I don't do these things to take care of my body, I can't do what I need to do for everybody else, function and walk. You know, I literally just had my hip replaced in December. I know, I find that remarkable. I've been putting it off. (laughs) I've been putting it off (laughs) for six years because I don't have time for this, but I do. It is part of its age and wisdom. Because I find that for women, what I've always noticed, and especially with myself, is that we're more apt to set boundaries and to create that notion of, me first, not me first, but just me, right? Focusing Mm -hmm. on me as opposed to focusing on everyone else in a more clear way than I know that I was able to do when I was in my, even in my forties. So I was just wondering if it was the same experience for you that you're become so much clearer in understanding like, yeah, I can't take care of anybody else or show up for anybody else unless I take care of myself first. Yeah. And I think for so many years, I don't know whether it was the way we were raised or the way the world was, but it was almost ingrained that we were secondary as a mother, as a partner, that our job was to take care of everybody else. And a lot meant to say, you have to take care of you. Right. Now it's kind of okay. Now I see that asking for help is actually a sign of strength. From this pivotal moment in your life, and I know that you were already a business owner and you already had moving strength, has it shifted anything in terms of how you approach your business? I think in one sense, I'm a little more firm in a gentler way. I'm not afraid to set boundaries with people and say, no, these are the rules, these are the regulations and not feel guilty about it. Mm. But not get upset or bent out of shape if someone has an issue with our policy or an employee. I'm like, well, this is the way it goes. You know, you have, you win some, you lose some in it. And so I've kind of created stronger edges with a softness. And do you think that you had that softness always, or you had to create it and you learned it from that experience of taking care of your brother? I had a softness, but it was more of, People could walk all over me, more of that. Like I was soft and gentle. And so, of course, people are going to take advantage of take, 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 take. Whereas now I'm not afraid to say this is the boundary. 
but I'm gentle about it. I'm not upset or harsh about it, but people also know you can push me, but not so far. And I think that definitely I learned that from him of, you know what? No, this is my time, or I'm going to turn around and walk outside because I'm going to kill you all. (laughs) (laughs) And and then more importantly, did that experience make you a little bit more fearless in, um, let's say, business and perhaps even personally taking risks in a way that you might not have because now you understand how short life can be, perhaps? Definitely. Like, um, well, the way we met. I would have never just picked up and gone on a yoga retreat because of the guilt of the business and my children. And what I thought, you know what? And that wasn't, you know, too far past when my brother had passed away. I was like, you know what? No, I've never done anything just specifically for me. And this is healthy and it's okay. And my brother would have wanted me to because if I keep putting it off, putting it off, I'm not guaranteed another day. So I think that was one of the first steps I took to really go, ah, you know what? I'm going to do this. Everybody else will be okay without me. It was a freeing feeling of, you know what? And if it all falls apart, it's okay. Because when I come back, I'll just rebuild whatever I have to, but I'm going to do this for me. So my sense of you is that you have this incredible, unshakable core. If I could describe you in a word, it would be spitfire. You are just like this tightly wound ball of energy and strength. And I hope you take that as a compliment because I truly mean (laughs) it as that. And I think that's part of your nature, right? And I think that's probably what propelled you. First of all, nobody comes to New York and stays at a hostel and within a week finds an apartment. I mean, I think you're you're a rare exception, I'm going to say that that's a lot of your nature. And so do you think that you've had to learn more of the, and I I think you call it softness. I'm going to say you've always had sensitivity. I'm going to assume that you're very Mm -hmm. sensitive, but that the softness around the edges that you were talking about probably came as a result of your experience with your brother. Definitely, definitely. Because he always had a perspective of, you can be a grown up, but you don't have to grow up. Oh, I love why, that. He's like, why do you have to be a harsh, bitter adult? I'll never forget that day. I'm like, I come home and I'm like, the kids and him are going up to the rooftop. Why? Because they want to go camping. So they're camping on the rooftop of a New York City building with my brother, with the tent and towels, everything. And that's what he said. You don't have to be a grown up. You can be an adult, but you don't have to grow up. And I think that's part of the softness of were I want you, to run around with one pink sock and one blue one. I can. Were you able to say goodbye to him? Yes, I was there. Once we put him in, um, we call the end of life facility. Hospice? Hospice, yes. I was with him every day. He was there for 21 days and I stayed over and slept with him every day. And I was there with him the, till the very, very end. I was there with the breath and everything. And then I stayed with him for a good two hours without letting anyone else in. And how did you cope with your grief? That was the moment I lost it. When he passed, I literally collapsed. You've been holding it together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, For five years. And I just, my body went into, literally sounds weird, but I convulsed. I shook and just fell down on the floor. And that was it for a good couple hours. 
but it was almost a, a sense of relief because the anxiety and the stress of every day of, is this the day? Is this the day? How did you pick yourself back up literally off the floor after that? This is going to sound very demented. <laughs> <laughs> do tell, do very, tell. This, My listeners want to hear this. This is a very sick coping mechanism. <laughs> literally, the, the funeral people, there was some kind of massive traffic nightmare from hell in New York City. It took him six hours to come to get the body. So I, at about the four hour marker, I think my boyfriend came in and I said, I can't be in this room anymore. And my sister and I went outside and we went shopping and bought clothes. (laughs) Okay. That's how I dealt with it. I went shopping around the corner, bought some clothes and came back in. But doesn't that make sense? That you had been so focused on the care of someone else and that you'd turn around and you took care of yourself in that moment. I mean, it doesn't sound as insane as you make it sound. You know what I mean? Like I totally, I totally get it. So I must be as demented as you. you. (laughs) I'm like, you don't understand this one. Yeah. I'm like, I get it. So I guess we're as demented. Yes. Yes. I know that grief because I've written about grief has, I don't know many chapters, many roads, and many turns in the roads. How was that process shaped who you are today? Because, oh, and and the reason I ask this is that sometimes, and you said it just now, that the anticipation of the end was so a lot, right? Like it made you so anxious and you're in fear of that moment. But when that moment comes and you have to actually confront the absence of this person, they're literally gone. I think that moment is what really shapes the person. It's not the anxiety and the moment up to, but it's the absence after they're gone that in a sense really shapes that moment for you. Can you talk about how going through the grieving process in a way has shaped who you are today and perhaps in ways that you hadn't expected? One thing I learned is there's no way to grieve that's okay or not okay. Oh, yes, because my mother's passed as well. And through the two of them, I've learned you just got to, however you deal with it is how you deal with it. And it's okay. And it brought me even closer to my girls, you know, the young ones, because we were it. That was what we had for family. He was their brother, their uncle, their friend. And the dealing with the grief, you said, it's like they're no longer there. I went through like, did I do enough? You know, that self-pressure again, of, mm-hmm. did I do enough? Did I do the right thing? Maybe I should have done this or that. That was like the hardest part dealing with it. And then now, like, as I look back to things, like if I get stressed out or anxious or something freaks me out, I think they say, what would Jesus do? Mine is what would Michael do? That was my <laughs> brother's name. What would Michael do? <laughs> well, my brother would say, yeah, go have a hot tamale. You know, he would say, just psh, breathe. It'll go, you can get past it. You'll figure out a solution. There's never going to be anything right. You can always figure something else out. So I think the grief, it definitely, in the moments, because my nature gets back to that. And I'm like, no, just stop. Stop. And what would he do? That's beautiful. You've mentioned it a lot that you have a high stress job and career and life and that you deal with anxiety. 
Can you share with the audience perhaps some other ways that you cope with your anxiety and stress? Definitely. Yoga is the key movement, movement and yoga. I love to move. I need to move physically. I need to be physically challenged. And I found that doing the yoga provides me the physical challenge with the forcing of the mental stop. Oftentimes I come up with my best ideas or things when I'm physically working out or physically moving because the rest of the chaos in my brain stops Mm -hmm. and the clarity kind of comes through. My brother used to have us do um, transcendental meditation. So even when the girls were little, we would sit there. It was all we could do not to giggle at first. And we started with one minute. And at one point we got up to five minutes, which is not a lot when you're talking about little kids. Oh, that's a lot. We could all sit there for five minutes and meditate together. And he was like, you have to do this. You have to teach these kids this. You have to do this. So that's how I deal with my stress and anxiety is I need to be physically moving so that my brain will stop. And do you still meditate? Not as much as I should. That's why I force myself to take my yoga, not only because I love it, but because it's that the mental, we do the breathing and the meditation before and after class. So it's, you know, a good hour and a half that I can do what I need to do, but also stop my brain from doing what it needs to. I don't get back to just sitting and meditating like I used to, which I need to. So I'm going to assume that you didn't start out with plans to become a business owner and somehow you have become very successful at it. What words of advice could you offer women or my listeners who perhaps had never thought of themselves being able to do something quite so entrepreneurial? The biggest thing I have learned is to not put boundaries around yourself. If you think you can do it and you really are focused, it takes focus and attention, but as much learning and asking from anybody and everything is the key. Because I learned through like this COVID thing, there's been so much learning that's happened. I wish I had learned all this stuff before. So since you brought up COVID, how did you survive? And then how was it sort of shaped by your fortitude and experience of going through what you had gone through within those five years with your brother? I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew what do you mean? How did you know? I, I didn't know. So I knew the shutdown was coming for us. So uh, I had prepared for going online, for going virtual. So that literally I taught the class in the morning in the studio. We were shut down in the afternoon. The next day we were live with streaming classes and stuff. So that's how we survived was I had prepared for it because I saw everybody else was being shut down in the whole world. We're going down as well. So I better figure something out. So that's how we did survive. It just became once we were able to open up again, we another supplemental source of income. So we're still having the in-studios and we're still having the Zoom. And some of my clients who've been stuck at places, like one of them was stuck in Vermont. She's still there. Another one was in California for a year. Mm-hmm. They didn't miss a beat. We were able to just pick up and go from there. I think that's how we survived COVID for sure. But during that whole time, the perspective of, at first, I was going stir crazy, like a caged animal stuck inside. <laughs> I learned to go, 
wait, I live next to these two great parks. Let me just go walk out in the park. And I would just walk and listen to music and just see things that I had never really noticed before. So that the perspective of my brother kind of came back in of just, so you're stuck inside, you can't go to work, go outside and see things. I became a great uh, mixologist. I can make amazing martinis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming over. Make it. <laughs> I know how to fresh ginger. I know how to make the syrups, everything. So um, yeah, it, it taught me to get out of some of my comfort zones and just, all right, let's do this and let's have fun. I think coming out of it all, it's grown the business. So you just knew instinctively that the shutdown was going to happen, not based on any information that you were given individually, but just kind of you putting your finger up into the air and saying, hmm, I think we're going to be shutting down because the world is kind of heading in that direction. Yeah. You know, as I saw like the restaurants being closed and this thing, I thought we're, we're going to be next. The schools are closed. We're going to be next because you saw what was happening in the rest of the world. And so my gut was like, well, let's prepare for the worst and see what happens. And I had already reached out to my staff and said, this is what I want. Who wants to teach what and where? Because I don't know when the day is going to come. That you're not going to be able to come back in the studio. So I kind of had created a whole schedule just out of, I don't know, gut instinct of we're going to be next. If we're not, then we'll have my heads in the sand. We come to the very last question, which is always one of my favorite questions to ask. And it's a question that will seem out of left field. So <laughs> if you could find one song to describe your life, what would that song be? I don't even know what the name of the song is, but it's that one, Forever Young. I don't, <laughs> I don't know who sings that. The song is, but it, the chorus is Forever Young. And I think that would be me because I, I you know, as my daughter said, who's going to love me, mom? Because we're really weird. <laughs> In a good way, you know? So that would be me, like forever young, that I'm not really ever going to grow up. But this, there is a song. I'll have to find it for you, Juliana. <laughs> yes, please do. But do you, are you saying that it's your sense of connection to youthfulness? I don't sense immaturity from you. That's not what you're talking about when you say forever young. No, no, not immaturity. No, just the heart. The heart of like when you, uh, an energy that is young, and I always tell my children this and, and everybody I know, yeah, age is a number. It has nothing to do with how old you really are and how you behave. So it's not an immaturity, but it's a heart, uh, a forever young heart. That's more of what it is. It's oh, a youthful, open, honest kind of thing. That's lovely. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview with me. Your story is really inspiring and I know that the listeners will find it. So I think they'll find you incredibly remarkable. Again, I'm still marveling at the, you arrived in New York, staying at a youth hostel and found an apartment within a week. <laughs> I think I won't get over that for a while. How can people find you if they would like to connect with you? Uh, thank you for having me here. I totally loved it. They can totally uh, find us on our Instagram, Facebook, or our website, which is movingstrength.com. Okay. And it has all my contact information there. And I would love any young, aspiring or old aspiring people who want to share, connect, or anything, I'm there. 
Oh, that's lovely. And I'm sure you will hear from people. So thank you again, Patricia, for doing this. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.